1: Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hanson. In various ways, our show asks the hard questions about Mormon polygamy, and it begs the question to be answered, is polygamy a true expression of God's love? But before we get started on today's show, to find out how we can help you or someone you know escape from a polygamy group, you can call our toll-free number, 877-425-9993, or you can go to our website, shieldandrefuge.org. Everything we speak about, of course, will be held in confidence. But if you would like to talk about something we've said on the show or be a guest on the show, you can email us. The email address is email at Our guest this time was formerly the senior pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, where he pastored for 36 years. He retired from that position in May of this year, 2016, and is currently pastor emeritus of the Moody Church, as well as an international conference speaker. He's written more than 30 books. He's featured uh, speaker on three radio programs. One of them, my favorite, is Running to Win. He's in Salt Lake City to speak at the AM820 Truth Radio luncheon and dessert social, and has graciously agreed to an interview with us while he is here. So I would like to introduce and welcome to our show, Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Doris, you,
2: I'm so glad to be with you. God <laughs> bless you. And thank you for your testimony. But I'm so excited about this because there are many people who are watching who are going to find out that they can be freed from some of the bondages and experiences that you had. So Absolutely.
1: thank you so much
2: for having thank
1: me. Thank you, and thank you for coming. And that's why we do the show, so they can know that there is freedom outside of the requirements that Mormonism or polygamy uh, offers them. We, of course, minister here in the Mormon culture, which was founded by Joseph Smith in the 1820s, and, uh, and then, of course, proceeded on to the 1830s as the church grew at that time joseph smith made several charges against the christian bible and the christian faith he justified his mormon religion by claiming that he had a vision where god the father and jesus christ appeared to him together and answered his question about which church to join my first question is about joseph smith's vision is it possible for god the father and jesus christ to appear together in human form. Is there a biblical historic preference? Uh, Why or why not?
2: I don't think that that ever occurred in the Bible. But even more seriously, the simple fact is this, that those who study the Book of Mormon, and you have done that much more extensively than I have, find out that it really contradicts the Bible at so many different points. And you remember what Paul says in the book of Galatians chapter 1. He says, if... Anyone, including an angel, Mm -hmm. gives you any other gospel than the one that I have given to you, let him be accursed. Now, it indeed would be strange if God did not reveal himself in all of the details that are found in the Book of Mormon until the 1800s. So was the church not guided by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God until then? I think that when you look into the life of Joseph Smith, and again, I know that you know more about this than I, you will find a whole host of deceptions, mm-hmm. and the one that you have mentioned is one of them. It's
1: one of them. They cannot appear together, um, in my understanding of reading the Bible, because God the Father is spirit. And a- Jesus exactly. Jesus
2: said that the Father is spirit. It is the Son who could reveal himself, as he did to Paul, yeah. who was first called Saul on the way to Damascus. But how the Father would appear um, is indefensible from the standpoint of Scripture, because you're absolutely right, he is Spirit. And the Son, of course, took upon human flesh Mm -hmm. when he came in Bethlehem.
1: Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, The Bible, of course, and all of Christianity, and Jesus Christ himself referred to himself as the Son of God. Now this culture has taken that phrase and made it into a doctrine that Jesus is the literal son of God, meaning that he was created through sexual relations. That God the Father is married and has sired billions of children, spirit children, and Jesus is the eldest of all of his children and God chose him to be the earth's savior. Is Jesus the literal son of God created through sexual relations and if not, Just what does the Bible mean when it refers to Jesus as the Son of God?
2: You know, when I think of what Mormonism teaches, it does remind me of what Islam teaches. Because one of the reasons that Muslims, for example, reject the phrase Son of God, they think that God had sex with Mary and the result was Jesus. And it seems to me what you are saying Mormonism holds something like that, that, uh, at least in a related way, where Jesus Christ is the physical Son of God through sexuality. Maybe we'll have an opportunity to talk about that uh, more later. But the simple point is that Jesus is not the physical Son of God in that sense. He is, however, the Son of God in relationship to the Father. And when we use the phrase Son of God, we do not mean that somehow he came into being. The phrase as it is used in the Bible, Son of God, has to do with his relationship with the Father. There's the Father, there is the Son, and Jesus Christ is the one who in his flesh particularly was like a son to the Father, but of course not physically the Son, but spiritually the Mm. Son. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, the Bible says, thy throne, O God, Mm -hmm. speaking of the Son, in Hebrews chapter one, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So right there, you have Jesus Christ referred to as God. And also we can see his relationship to the Father as you read the uh, first chapter of the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And you see that sonship has to do with intimacy with the Father. It is not a matter of physical sonship.
1: So when Jesus was here and he referred to himself as the son of God, the Hebrews, the Jewish people, knew that he was referring to himself as being equal with God rather than the the literal son of God.
2: And and we can see that in the book of John, for example, for when he claimed that, what did they do? They took up stones to stone him, which is what you do with those Mm -hmm. who uh, blaspheme, is uh, that you stone them. You know, can I just diverse a little bit? I think this will be a real help to those who are watching. Regarding our friends, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses. I um, met some at O'Hare Field today in Chicago before we flew here and that's why it's on my mind. One of the questions I ask them is this, do you worship Jesus? And uh, they don't know what to say because on the one hand, if they say yes, because he isn't God, a very God, they would be uh, really, uh, what shall we say, guilty of heresy. They are worshiping someone who isn't God. But on the other hand, they have to agree that in the New Testament, Jesus was worshiped. He was. And I asked them to read the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation, where it says that there is mm-hmm. the lamb, mm-hmm. Jesus, and they are bowing before him, so to everyone who is listening to this, when you understand who Jesus is, your proper response is to worship him, to bow before him, and know that he too is God, a very God. And the Trinity right. is so important to Christianity for reasons maybe we'll be able to get into, but it is so it makes the gospel come alive.
1: It does. It does. In fact, the whole gospel, the entire gospel from beginning to end, is put into, put together and, and completely done through the Trinity. The Father, you know, the Son, and the Holy this Spirit. This is so
2: exciting for me when you stop to think of it. You know, you can go on the Internet today, and you can find out all these different religions that claim that, uh, oh yes, we also need a blood sacrifice, just... We're just like Christianity, because all the other religions, they need a blood sacrifice. Many other religions want a blood sacrifice, but only in Christianity does God become the sacrifice. Right,
1: exactly. And he gives
2: himself for us. He gives
1: himself for us, which is so different than the way I was raised. And he redeems us.
2: The son redeems us. The father is involved as well, because the father loves the world. The father accepts what the son does. And we can say today to all who are listening, to those who believe Jesus paid it all and they can respond to him because he is not only, uh, you know, the creator, but he is also the savior savior. of the world. And you experienced that when you came out of Mormonism.
1: When I came out of the polygamy group, yeah, it took a while, but I did. Um, In fact, Joseph Smith's account of the vision that we talked about claimed that God told him to join no church at the time that he had the vision because, and there were three points I would like to ask you about, the reason he wasn't to join was, number one, they were all wrong, number two, all their creeds and doctrines were an abomination in God's sight, and all their professors were all corrupt, that's what God told Joseph Smith in this so-called vision. Was all of biblical Christianity in a state of corruption during and before the time of Joseph Smith that would cause God to say such harsh things to him about Christianity?
2: Unthinkable.
1: It is, isn't it? Because
2: when you stop to think of it, the gospel was given, of course, to the apostles with clarity. It was preached in New Testament times. And then you go throughout church history, and at times it's true that the gospel was, was, uh, what shall we say, buried beneath tradition you get to the Protestant Reformation, you get the clarity of the Gospel, and you think of the impact of the Gospel here in the United States of America and the transforming power long before Joseph Smith. I mean, I'm talking about people, of course, like Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and the great revivals that took place here. So for this vision to say that everyone is corrupt and everybody was wrong until that time, this is such a huge deception that I think that a fair-minded person looking at church history would have to say that this simply is not true.
1: You would hope that they would at least do some research to find out. And that, in fact, that's part of my next question. Um, Smith accused Christian pastors of being hirelings of Satan. That would, of course, include my pastor, you, Pastor Jim out there, and all the Christian pastors now and then. Um, And you pastored the historical Moody Church that is a legacy of D.L. Moody, who ministered in the middle to late 1800s. Having pastored that church named after after him, first of all, what kind of a man was D.L. Moody? Was he a godly man or was he a hireling of Satan? And what kind of abominable, corrupt things was Moody teaching? that he could be called a hireling of Satan.
2: <laughs> well, this is uh, really, I want to almost use the word bizarre. D.L. Well. Moody was gloriously converted, and as a result of that conversion, he came to Chicago, and he uh, began to work among the young people. He went to the poorest of the poor, and he worked with them, and then he began a Sunday school for them, and his Sunday school grew so big that um, Abraham Lincoln came and visited it when he was on his way to to Washington to be inaugurated. And Moody was transformed by the power of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And he began to preach the gospel with great humility and brokenness in his own life. And as a result of that became famous, tens of thousands of people believed the gospel. Moody was such a humble man, he knew who he was. One day somebody said to him, Oh, may I shake hands with the famous D.L. Moody." D.L. Moody reached back, scooped up some dirt, put it in his hand and says, this is what D.L. Moody is, Mm. apart from the grace and the wonder Mm. of God. Mm. He was a great servant of God, pure in heart, willing to give everything away for the cause of the gospel and to sacrifice his life for others. Remarkable man, what a privilege it was for me to be the pastor of Moody Church yeah, for thirty-six right. years, and to try to pick up on that legacy.
1: Yes, absolutely. And and what a blasphemy, almost um, for a tragedy for Joseph Smith to say that about godly Christian men. How could they? How can anyone construe those kinds of things uh, that people have done in God's name to help people and call it? Corrupt and abominable. Well, vulnerable.
2: let's just speak very plainly. When you're plugged into the wrong side of the spirit world, you can say all kinds of things. And
0: believe it. You
2: know, in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul talks about different Jesuses. And he says, I'm afraid that you are moved along to a different Jesus. Yeah. And we don't know exactly what this Jesus was like that the Corinthians were on the verge of accepting. But here's the scary thing. It was so much like the real Jesus that Paul feared they might not be able to tell the difference. difference. Do you see the relationship to what we're talking about here? Yes, absolutely. Because if you look into Mormonism, you know that they talk about Jesus. I go on the Mm -hmm. internet, yeah, we believe in Jesus, we believe Jesus died, rose again, Mm etc. But it's not the biblical Jesus. And Paul says that that Jesus was from another spirit. And he goes on to talk about the fact that darkness is light, and that there mm-hmm. are spirits in the world who masquerade as spirits yes, of light, and of they light. are spirits of darkness.
1: And, and back to this, the the previous question too. Um, you mentioned Jonathan Edwards, and and uh, we talked about D. L. Moody. Uh, there was many other people during that time, Charles Finney and Fanny Crosby, John Charles Wesley. Some some people before that time that would have laid. Um, the the uh, foundation for revival mm-hmm. around the world. In fact, William Carey at that time was in India, um, striving to bring females into a place of dignity, while at the same time Joseph Smith was over here bringing females into further oppression by forcing polygamy on them. Um, what were these 18th and 19th century Christians doing and teaching that would condemn God, that God would condemn. I mean, what? where yeah. where, where? can we go with this to, to cause our viewers to want to at least look up what these men were doing?
2: Well, you know, the verse of scripture that comes to me is actually from Isaiah, woe to those who call darkness light and light darkness. Mm. And it seems to me that that's what Joseph Smith was doing. Ultimately, his claim is so unfounded that it scarcely needs an answer. These people and William Carey, for example, in India, and other people following him and going to India, sharing the gospel, translating the Bible. These were people who were righteous before God, who gave their lives to the Lord, and not only gave their lives to the Lord, but therefore gave their lives to others. Mm -hmm. Because when you give your life to God, the next thing is the overflow of your heart is to bless others. Mm. So that's who these people were. And uh, Joseph Smith his revelations were so um, so wrong, and so false, and so condemning of everyone except himself, that it is clear that he falls into the category of what the New Testament calls as false prophets and false teachers. False
1: prophets, right, exactly. Um, and, and kind of a, to to wind up that, partic- this particular part of the conversation, how different are the creeds of today the creeds of Christianity today to the creeds of Christianity during the time of Joseph Smith has Christianity changed
2: well Christianity hasn't changed I mean you can go back to the Nicene Creed 325 and you see there the divinity of Jesus Christ you see the basic doctrines laid out that is still a creed that we hold to today and has been held to throughout the centuries so when Joseph Smith says that the Christian doctrines changed is that what you're saying, Doris? Well, that
1: that, that yes, and and also if the things are if if Christianity is has not changed from Joseph Smith's day, Mormons want to be called Christians today. They think they are the true Christians, but there's been no change in it. So how can they? Uh, how? Uh,
2: yeah, I see what you're saying. In other words. Their doctrine does not line up with what the church has believed from the earliest times. Right. So to so use the label Christian
1: right.
2: is really um, a false designation because just because they believe in Jesus, quote, that does not make them Christian if unless you believe in the right Jesus. And throughout history, the church has proclaimed a different Jesus than the Mormon Jesus. So and
1: they've admitted that Yes, yeah. and I,
2: I don't think that they can go by that designation Christian unless the word is emptied of its meaning.
1: Well, that is true. Um, one of Joseph Smith's restored doctrines that he himself and others com- were compelled to participate in was polygamy. He justified polygamy by using the Old Testament characters of Abraham and Jacob and David and and even Solomon as examples of godly men who had multiple wives. The question isn't, did these men of the Bible take multiple wives? The question is, did God command their polygamy as Joseph Smith claimed he did? And does living polygamy make one righteous in God's eyes?
2: Well, you have two questions there. First of all, I studied this at one time. I did not find any place in the Old Testament where God commanded polygamy. It does appear as if God put up with it, but by the way, think <laughs> of the messes that polygamy <laughs> produced even back then. I That's mean it wasn't right. it wasn't a happy relationship to, to uh not to put too fine a point on it. I mean you have all kinds of conflict in the home, you have conflict between wives, and all that you need to do is to go back to Genesis and say, too bad. Uh, that uh, they didn't follow the original pattern, right. you know, that there's a man and a woman, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. As the Apostle Paul put it, too bad that that was not the case because polygamy has never worked out well. Right. But in, in the revelation of the Bible, God put up with polygamy, never commanded polygamy, When you get to the New Testament, what does the apostle Paul say? Let each man have his his own own. wife and the wife her husband. So what you have is a clarification there of the Genesis account, rather than a continuation of the Genesis account. So Mm -hmm. uh, it would have been much better if Joseph Smith had taken his view of matrimony and based it on the New Testament, rather than trying to justify it from the Old.
1: And that's exactly what he did. So there's no way that living polygamy, either in Joseph Smith's time, Abraham's time, or today, makes a person righteous in oh God's eyes. Oh my,
2: uh, that, is, that is, again, I, the word that comes to mind is unthinkable. Number one, we are not made righteous in our eyes by anything we do, much mm-hmm. less doing something that foolish. We are made righteous when the righteousness of God is credited to us through Jesus Christ. And you and I need to be perfect to enter into heaven, but we fall short. But the reason that we can get there is because we are saved by the righteousness of another, namely Jesus Christ who stands in for us. Mm -hmm. So my sister, when you die and you get to heaven, you will be welcomed as if you are Jesus because you are clothed in his righteousness. God
1: attributes
2: to those who believe in Christ the same righteousness which he himself has. Think of how exciting this is.
1: And to think that they replaced that with polygamy. Yeah,
2: right. It doesn't matter how high God's standard is, as long as you and I don't have to meet it. As long as it is met for us in Jesus, we can rejoice in the good news mm-hmm. of the gospel.
1: Praise God, absolutely right. Um, Joseph Smith and, and subsequent Mormon leaders preached that polygamy was a requirement for anyone to go to heaven. They promised that they could become a well, god. excuse
2: me now, did women go to heaven? They also went to heaven, okay? Mm -hmm, Keep going. Yeah,
1: a woman had to live polygamy in order to go to heaven. The men who lived polygamy would become a god if they lived polygamy. And
2: and they'd have wives in heaven? And they
1: would have polygamy in heaven, and eternal marriages too.
2: Yeah, You know, this is an example of how, and uh, Muhammad did this too. In Muhammad, his life of sexuality was transferred also to heaven, that's why when you get there, if you die in jihad, you have 70 virgins, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et and it seems to me that Joseph Smith was doing the same thing. What he was doing is taking life on earth with, with his relationship with wives, and he was transferring that then to the heavenly realm. But of course, there's a great deal of confusion there, and it's simply error. It is not found anywhere in the Bible.
1: And can man become a god?
2: Of course man can't become a god.
1: (laughs) But Joseph Smith said that they have to learn how to become gods themselves.
2: Think of it. That's exactly the lie that Eve was told by the serpent. By the
1: serpent in the garden. You eat this
2: and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. And ever since that time, man has tried to be his own god. And if there's anything that is true, is that you're not God and there is only one God, only and one you and I forever. aren't him. <laughs> <laughs> we are, and will
1: not become or displace him or dethrone him. That's right. Uh, we're down to a couple of minutes, um, and you've pretty well dis- d- discussed the, the salvation by grace alone. Um, so, What I would like to ask is one of the greatest weapons that a human being has is the pen. He can write down things that will... Um, influenced millions of people for centuries, and Joseph Smith did that when he declared that Christendom was corrupt. But he also, back to the Garden of Eden, did what the Satan did and said the Bible itself was not translated correctly. You couldn't trust his word, couldn't be trusted. In fact, he tried to restore it himself. How accurate is Joseph Smith's accusation about the trustworthiness of the Bible, and should we trust his revised version of the Bible?
2: the transmission of the text of scripture throughout the centuries is compellingly accurate. We could, if we had time on this show, even go back to such things in the Old Testament such as the Dead Sea Scrolls and other means, showing that the scribes were meticulous in their transmission of the scriptures. Now, occasionally you have certain variations I remember studying a verse in Corinthians that talked about Jesus Christ, the Lord God. One one manuscript says Jesus Christ, the Lord. The other said the Lord, uh, you know, and and so you have some variations in terms of the exact transmissions of Mm -hmm. the text, but none that affect the meaning. There are only a few passages, especially in the King James that we know has very weak manuscript evidence, but we know what those are, Mm -hmm. and they're designated in all the Bible. They have footnotes and all that. I would say this, that with regard to the Bible, to those that are listening, the Bible is a very open book. Investigate it for yourself. Find out, read the sources, and you will come to the conclusion that we hold in our hands the trustworthy Word of God, God. and our Mm -hmm. transmission is... um, thanks to the scribes, very
1: accurate. Well, we're down to the, the final minute. Thank you. Uh, we're going to do this again. We're going to have part two of an interview with uh, Dr. Lutzer. So thank you again for, for being here. And Thank we'll you. You know, we are grateful for this time with Dr. Lutzer, who has spent his life ministering in the Word of God. As discussed, God's gift of eternal life cannot include works of any kind. It is by grace through faith, nothing more and nothing less. God promised that He would protect His Word and that it would endure for And because God Almighty has the power to do what He said He would do, we can trust that it's been preserved. The The Bible is God's measuring line, and anything about our eternity should be tested by what's written on the pages of Scripture. And in trusting what God has said, we cannot go astray. And God said that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that every living soul can be saved by His grace, but only if they'll believe it and receive it. See you next time. God bless.